Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedian, founder and CEO of Dedian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host, Christopher Dedian, and today I am so honored to have Katrina Petron, which she is the CEO of North Star HQ. So, Katrina, how are you today? And thank you for being on the show. I'm good. Thank you for having me. We're going to have so many great conversations on marketing as I was checking out some of your stuff, and there's a lot of great things to unpack. But before doing so, I gave a short introduction of who you are. Can you tell us a bit more of who you are? What do you do? Yeah, so I run North Star HQ. It's a 10-year-old full-service digital marketing agency, and I recently also launched Not the Marketing Girl, which trains internal marketing teams. Um in a really different way to bridge the gap between the business acumen piece and the marketing and sales goals piece. I love that. And as I was going through your marketing, which obviously when you're a marketing person and I'm looking through stuff, I feel like the marketing should be good. And on your end, it looked spot on. So that was amazing. (laughs) And one thing that I noticed that I really want to jump into right away with our conversation. You have a sentence in your uh, description of your LinkedIn and how mm-hmm. I built a $8 million worth of leads using no pitch strategy. Please tell uh, me about that. Let's unpack that. What is this no pitch strategy that you have to acquire over $8 million in uh, leads? Yeah. And that was last year alone during the pandemic. So a tough year for a lot of businesses. So we we're really happy with those results. Um, here's the thing. Marketers ruin everything. And I'm a marketer. And I think we as marketers need to kind of own up and fess up to that because all of these social platforms and these digital tools are so helpful for businesses. And it has lowered the barrier to entry. It used to be that businesses had to have, say, $50,000 to run some radio spots mm-hmm. or something. Now it's like for 500 bucks, you can get a lot of really great leads out of you know a Facebook ad campaign or LinkedIn or something to that effect. But marketers ruin everything. And the reason I think that is because As soon as we realize that there's opportunity to leverage a platform, it then gets saturated with pitches, right? So anyone right now, you can go into your LinkedIn message box and see, hi, I'm so-and-so, will you buy my product? Hey, I'd love to connect, would you buy my product, right? And I just want to put my foot in the sand and or however you say it, foot in the sand, line on the sand, whatever it is, and say, that is the best way to make sure you don't get leads. And so conversions happen in conversations. To get that conversion, you have to have a conversation and it is not, hi, will you buy my product? And so the no pitch piece of it is, hey, human to human, we'd like to do business with people we know, like, and trust. You have to build a relationship to get that started. I love that because you're so spot on. I don't know about other people that are on LinkedIn. I do feel tired when people are just aggressively messaging 
without any logical approach, I believe. Like yeah. if you haven't researched anything and just copying, pasting, you're not going to reply. And some people have the audacity to continue. Now, granted, I do understand people like, you know, it's a numbers game. They're going to do X, Y, and Z, and they're going to get some. So that's okay as well. I get that strategy, but I am sure there is a better way. And you kind of alluded to it within a conversational base. Now, granted, when we're able to go on happy hours, meetups, networking events, you're able to rub shoulders just so much more natural of an approach to have those conversations. So how do we bring that natural conversation into the social world, which it doesn't feel like pitching, which I'm guessing is what you have been doing. So how do you go about doing that on the social world when it doesn't feel like a pitch and it's more authentic? Yeah. So I always start with a give. Um, A lot of pitches that land in my inbox will say something like, if they don't say, hi, will you buy my product or service? They'll say something like, hi, you do great things. I do great things. I'd love to partner on something, period. You know, like it doesn't really give me anything to work with. And so I can tell you from my own pitches, a lot of times I'll say, hey, here are the really great things I'm involved with. I'm involved with um, Denver Startup Week and Denver University and on the board of We Back West. Um, I have a couple of collaboration ideas XYZ, are you interested in any of these? And the collaboration ideas are most definitely gives for them. I'm not asking for anything. I'm saying, hey, I host a LinkedIn Live. It goes to 15,000 people. Do you want to be my guest? I'll put you in front of that audience. Um, I have 15,000 connections. Is there anyone I can introduce you to? Like I start with, how can I help you? And inevitably that, like, thank you. Like that was nice. And then um, it, it starts a conversation. Conversation. I love that. And as you were saying that, I was thinking about the book Go Give or Sell More by Bob Burke. I don't know if you've ever oh, heard okay. of that book. No. I've heard of it. I've never read it. Definitely. I definitely suggest it. I actually had him on the show as well. Okay. And his whole ideology is exactly that not the pitch, but kind of like to serve, kind of like when you're playing tennis, but in a friendly way with a gift, which is exactly what you're explaining is that mm-hmm. you're saying, Hey, I would like to collaborate, but here's how I would like to collaborate, or here are some opportunities. And it's all value driven to the person that's receiving it. So everybody that's an entrepreneur world, especially nowadays, when they get invited to a podcast and it looks like, you know what you're doing, you have a great network of 15K followers on LinkedIn, so on and so forth. They'll be enticed to say yes, and then you'll develop that relationship. So I love that approach in itself. And have you saw, like, have you seen that you got a lot of your leads through that methodology? And if that's the so, do you do any paid ads? Do you do anything of that side of the thing as well? Or it's all organic through messaging, like you just mentioned? Yeah, for our own business, we are super heavy on referrals. And then we have agency partners that refer us business. And the agency partners are um, marketing adjacent, but they don't do the implementation that we do. And so they might be a PR agency, branding agency, um, maybe an SEO agency or MarTech. Um, are kind of the buckets. And it's like, they're already having marketing conversations with their clients. They, they know there's a need and then they introduce them to us for implementation. So for our own company, we do very little advertising for our clients. We actually do a fair amount. We work with a lot of software and tech clients, um, 
both like regional, national, and global sort of clients, and they're generally generally looking to scale lead gen. And so the approach that we often take, it's not always a, hey, one-on-one, do you want to collaborate sort of thing with this global software company, but it's what is the value? Is the value a checklist that I can give you to make your day easier? Is the value... um, We have one client who works closely with the EPA and the EPA just put out a new guideline. So we summed up that information and got that out to the people that need it. Because if you've ever seen an EPA guideline, it is not enjoyable to read. It is very dense and a lot of pages. So sort of like high level, big things to know about. So what is, so when we're doing things like ads, the big thing is it's not just, Hey, come buy my product. It's how can I add value to your day right now? Because a lot of the types of clients we work with have longer buying cycles. And so I think it's different when I'm scrolling through Instagram, right. And I want to buy like these earrings or something. It's like, okay, well I can make that decision right now. I don't need to be nurtured for two years about buying these earrings or not. But a lot of times when there's software decisions, there's internal decision makers. It's usually not one person. It's something that's usually budgeted at certain times of the year. So those buying cycles are longer, so we just have to add value throughout that whole yes. journey. Yes. I love that. You're 100% right. If there's something that's a lower value, yeah, like you said, those earrings, it's okay, a couple of dollars here, you could kind of pull the trigger. But if something that's a high sure. ticket towards a service, towards whatever, you have to understand that you have to do anywhere between eight to 15 touches before gaining an actual yeah. sales. And those touches, like you said, have to be value-driven, have to be like, hey, what am I offering you? You want to come on my show? You want to talk about this? Hey, I just saw this article. I think I was thinking about you, whatever the case is. Now, as you mentioned all that, and it was just so delicious. There was one thing that you mentioned that really intrigued me. You said for your own business, you don't do a lot of marketing paid ads, but you do it for the other companies that hire you to do so. The question is, why do you not do it on your own business, but you do it for others? It's size. I'm a believer in build your business to the size that feels good to you. Um, I have been pushed over and over as an entrepreneur to get over different revenue hurdles. And each time I push for a revenue hurdle that doesn't fit my personal values, I get really burnt out. And what I've decided is there is a very sweet spot size of business that um, right now I like to run. Yeah, I love that answer. And it's so like, I don't know. And I've been in business for 10 years. And I I think, I think more entrepreneurs are finally starting to realize this, but for so long, it was like the six figure business and the seven figure business and the eight figure business. And it's like, oh my gosh, you guys, can we ever like, can we ever just take a breath and enjoy what we have? And like, be comfortable with that. And so um, I think there will be a point where I'll want to grow it larger. Um, And there have been points where I've wanted to grow it larger and it didn't get larger. And so (laughs) um, that's the truth behind running a business, you know, is sometimes it's it's not the right timing or whatever doesn't line up. Um, But right now that's why. And then the other reason right now is I have been absolutely heads down creating not the marketing girl. And it's been one of the most fun projects I've done in a while. And it's to train internal teams on how we as an agency operate so that they can do that themselves. Um, And because I've been so heads down in that, it hasn't been growth mode. It's been more like the plan to get this ready sort of mode. And I think ads are really good when you're ready to put some fuel on the fire. Okay. That was a very thorough 
answer. I loved it because that's exactly the analogy. Yeah. There's a couple of things that I want to highlight once again for our listeners to really hone in with and our watchers to really get the fact that there is a certain point that you're like, hey, this is the amount that I'm comfortable with and it's not demanding too much and I could still have my family, this, that, and the other is super up to you within your decision-making. So people think that, oh my God, you have to make more or I'm not making enough. Like as an entrepreneur, if you're doing it right, you could decide to, you know what? This is my sweet spot. This is where I need to stay. This is how much I'm making and I'm comfortable with this aspect. Now, granted, like you said, there's people that want to grow. That's perfectly okay. But the reason that you're, you're growing should not be vanity or finance dictated because that pursuit never ends, just like you mentioned. And I, I felt that the first time I made my six uh, figures, I was uh, early 20s. And in my mind, when I was young, I thought, oh, I'm going to make $100,000 and life is set. After yeah. I made it, the first instant, well, my mind switched to what's next? What's the next amount? And I'm like, wait a minute. I know how much I have to work to get to this point. I'm like, I can't enjoy it more than this. That's where it kind of comes really interesting. So I love the fact that you were aware of it. And second part and is that you wonder... Thing. Sorry, go, oh, go sorry. for it. I just want to say, and that's the thing about meeting your goals in our society. Every time you meet a goal, the goal just gets, there's a new bar that's set that's yes. further away. And it's not, that's not true in all societies. And I do think that that leads business owners to burnout. I mean, yes. it is a constant chasing. And I just want to be one that says like, do what feels good to you. You don't yes. have to constantly chase. Yes. I love that because it's that balance between being ambitious and I feel that you're a very ambitious person and as well am I, but that balance of like, Hey, let's go push. And wait a minute, yeah. there's somewhere that we could be centered and connected to mother earth, the universe, our kids are mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. And you could lose that if you're just looking at the metrics of finance and growth and whatever you desire on that end. So I love that you mentioned that uh, with that. And the last thing you had said as well, I wanted to highlight is that to be aware of where you are within your journey of your business. So right now you're very much aware that you're starting a new platform and you are on content creation instead of expanding that. So right now that's why you're like, okay, let me just build that and then grow it. And talk to me a bit more about the strategy because you are a marketer. Now you did this new thing that you were mentioning, which uh, remind me the name, it was something girls, a marketing girl. Yeah. She's not, she isn't your marketing girl. Yes. So that aspect. Now, once it's ready, what are you going to do to market this at a high level? What's your strategy? Because you are the marketer. I could ask you more about that, but I want to know once the platform is ready, once the product is ready, what's your game plan with that? Yeah. Well, and I just want to back up and clarify. So just like every company has the HR lady that's down the hall, companies now all have the marketing girl that's down the hall. Mm -hmm. And the marketing girl, it doesn't matter, guy, girl, non-binary, none of that matters in this conversation, other than it tends to be a very junior level person who has wonderful characteristics, who is trying very hard, who knows these platforms very well, but is struggling to connect the dots between the marketing campaigns and tactics and how that ladders up to the overarching business goals. It's a business acumen piece that is just, Mm. in most cases, the only way you get it is through a lot of years of experience, a lot of failed campaigns and things not going your way. And so Not the Marketing Girl is a training program to bridge that gap. So to answer your question, as far as marketing that will happen, so I've taken a step back and wanted to make sure that this was very well branded. Um, We've done a lot of work on the branding piece. So that's one pillar that's going to ladder up into the official launch. Um, 
because there's a lot of legs just from the branding. Um, advertising is definitely a part of it. Speaking, doing the podcast rounds are a mm-hmm. part of it. Um, the email list and the existing connections. I'm a big believer in build your audience before you need it. So those 15,000 people on LinkedIn that have no idea what not the marketing girl is, um, I'll be able to leverage those people, the thousands of people in email, those people will get leverage. So it's kind of just a big ecosystem that will play together. Um, But when I mention those things, I also want to be clear to listeners, it's important when you're doing your marketing strategies that you don't divide yourself too thin. Like, yes, you can do Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, email, blogging, SEO, whatever. You can do a million things, you know. Um, but the but the thing that I would encourage everyone to think about is what can what can you do well? So when I think of the things I can do well, it's it's really in probably about three buckets, which is email, LinkedIn, and speaking. And how do I get those three things to work together the best? Um, Because I know when I start adding other platforms, then our efforts get so divided and then we're not really making impact on any of the platforms. Such an important thing you just mentioned. That's a conversation that I have always with my marketing director. And he's like, let's go on all these, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, granted, we could and probably should. But I'm like, there has to be one or two or even maybe three at most that you're really dedicating your time towards that is more strategically aligned with your skills. Because like you Mm -hmm. said, you can't be necessarily everywhere to high intentionally. So the way I go about it, and you tell me if it's right or wrong, me personally, my business, I do one main YouTube video per week, and then we break it down for all the other platforms. I have a team publishing it everywhere. It's really the only way at the same time that I'm running my speaking and my coaching business. I'm like, if not, you can't be everywhere. And it's, it, that's a job in itself. So I love the fact that you pinpointed a couple of those things. And another thing that you mentioned, I really want to dive into a bit more. You said that you have a platform, you're an, you, you, you believe that ideology of building the, the community, even before you have something to sell. And that's an ideology that has been cultivated more and more to the last several years in the entrepreneur world with the Gary V's of this world, with everybody on that end. So the question is, how do you cultivate your community even before you have anything to sell? What value do you bring to these people to really follow you at a high level? I think it depends on what you're doing. So my value that I've always brought lands somewhere in the marketing, sales, business leadership realm but I'm not a traditional business owner. I'm not a traditional entrepreneur. And so a lot of my value um, is in kind of going against the system and what the, what the, the new speakers of the day are, are saying. Um, and I think that goes back to like what we were saying about the goals, right? Like I'm, I'm telling you, instead of, instead of setting the goals, everyone wants you to set, set the goals that you want to set and feel good about. Um, sometimes it goes back to, you know, being a female business owner, people have often told me that my business is my baby. And that has always struck me as something really weird to say to a person because, I personally don't feel that at all. And what I think they're insinuating is you will do anything for your business. You will work as hard as you can for your business. But what I hear is Katrina, you don't get to have boundaries for self-care because you have to take care of your business. And I actually flip it the other way. I don't think my business is my baby. My business's job is to take care of and provide for me. 
And so I nurture it and I do what's necessary to make sure that that symbiosis happens. I love that. Uh, but so I, I think that's the value. I'm constantly going against what's what's in the mainstream. And I and another one is when I started this business 10 years ago, it we've been remote since day one. I had a two-year-old and a two-week-old baby at home, and people are like, you are never gonna work. You're just gonna change diapers. And yes, I changed a lot of diapers, but I also built something in a schedule that worked for me and my family. And um the over the years, I mean, I had a business advisor who said, Katrina, you will never get an enterprise level client until you get an office. I got an enterprise level client and never got an office. Mm-hmm. And now with the pandemic where everyone was forced to work or a lot of people were forced to work remotely, um, you know, the world has kind of caught up, but it really just goes back to my own values. and like always being true to my values in spite of what some blog or article says. I love that. I love that. It's so always listening to your intuition as it already knows what you should be doing. So listening to that and being cultivating that guides you towards the right direction, essentially, and everything that you just mentioned over there. So I, I thoroughly love that aspect. And the fact that you're already remote, did you see an advantage for you? Because like you said, the fact that other, I'm guessing marketing companies or just everybody that wasn't remote kind of had that little limbo in between like, oh my God, how are we going to do it? And so on and so forth. Was that a moment that you noticed in time and you capitalized for your business or it kind of just went naturally and you naturally were gaining the same amount of clientele? Yeah. So when things shut down, when things shut down here, I live in Colorado, I believe it was a Friday or maybe a weekend. So we knew that Monday kids weren't going to school and businesses were closed. And I opened my laptop the same way I do every Monday. And my whole team was there the same way they are every Monday. And so it gave me a lot of freedom and flexibility to handle other things that were unusual. Um, my husband's work schedule, he's in sales face-to-face. His schedule most definitely changed. My kids were no longer in person in school. Their schedule changed. And so, um, but knowing that my business was going to run and that I was already set up to move forward, um, it gave a lot of peace and a lot of flexibility so I could handle other things. Um, And I think because of that, I mean, we had a really strong year last year and our clients had good years last year. And so um, I think having no interruption for that shutdown was a a big part of that. 100%. 100%. I love the fact that you were ahead of the curve with that and you kind of riding this awesome like uh, wave of the structure that you have. And there's a couple more questions that I want to ask, and I want to be respectful for your time. But the first thing I want to ask you, you kind of alluded to it a bit in the beginning of the call, but I want you to unpack it a bit more. What do you see entrepreneurs do when it comes to marketing that is like one of the biggest mistakes that you see commonly happen? Obviously, you mentioned when people go into DMs, they approach them almost like salesy, pitchy and all that. But other than that, what are some of the mistakes that you could really tell people so they could be aware of it and not do it anymore? Yeah, one of the big ones I see out there is, um, well, I say there's no we and me. And the point being, whether it's email or a DM message or a social post or whatever it is, whenever business owners or entrepreneurs start to send a marketing message of some sort, something in their brain or the training that they've gone through shifts to where they no longer talk in 
I, like me and you, they talk in, we at the company do this and we at Northstar do that. And what happens is as soon as the user, the prospect, the reader gets a message that says, we do this, we do that, whatever, we've worked on this thing. Um, the prospect, the user, the reader tunes out because they're opening their email. They're opening their DMs to find out what's in it for me. Like, how are you making my day better? What what good nuggets of conversation are here? Who should I be talking to? They're not looking to get pitched. And so that messaging needs to be shifted across the board. We need to be untrained to say we and talk about you, like how does this solve you, the reader's problem? So that's very interesting. So a couple of things, we're going to change the we, we're going to put it into you. Would you as well mention instead of the we, the I, do you think people are saying we, so they could look like a bigger organization when maybe it's a one-man show or a couple-man show, whatever. They just, do you think that that plays a role as well? Or we're we just talking about the aspect of not bringing it enough value driven to the person that's going to be reading it. It's about the value. So whether Perfect. you're trying to look bigger or not, to me, it doesn't necessarily matter. And even big organizations, when, when I, when I talk on the same topic to big organizations, they're like, well, I don't want to say I, like I didn't develop this new software yeah. launch for this year. You know, yeah. there were 300 people involved. I'm not saying to take credit for a new software product. <laughs> I'm just saying you're talking one-on-one to a person. So it can't, we, the 300 people creating the software product are not talking one-on-one to this person. And so that's where it just loses a sense of authenticity and the human behind the brand. Okay, but wait a minute. I do understand that pushback because I'm just pursuing myself in that person, imagine I'm talking to you selling something and I know that I have a team of 300 people. I'm not going to say though, I'm the one that did it. I would say we did it because it was a team effort. But what you're saying over here, what if I understand correctly and correct me if I'm wrong, is that that diminishes the human connection instead of saying I, even though it wasn't just you. Is that what we're talking no, about? What, what I'm saying is why are you even telling me that 300 people created a software? All I want to know is what are you solving for me? Okay. Yeah. That's all I want to know. I don't care how many people created it, uh, who was involved, what departments, whatever, because again, that's detracting me, the reader from what I care about, which is, oh my God, I wish I just had something that, you know, I was looking for a software that would pull together all of our P and L's, our marketing data. Because we have to go to active campaign for email and social yeah. for social and um, Google Analytics for web and our QuickBooks for our PLs. I'm like, I just want a dashboard that pulls it all together. So if someone lands in my inbox, and feel free, any of you out there that have this software, land in my inbox and say, this software pulls it all together and will save you 10 hours of time. I care. But if you tell me, Hey, I've been working on this software for nine months with 300 people. Do you want to check it out? I'm like, well, does it really save me time? You know, like, that's what I want to know. 
I love that. Okay. So thank you for explaining that a bit more in detail. Definitely clarified it for me. So essentially get to the point. That's what we're kind of talking about here. What is the value? And solve someone's problem. Like we're in business to solve. Our businesses exist to solve someone's problem for something. And whether it's a software that solves like a very direct business problem, or, you know, I'm looking around my house or like back to these earrings, like I will, I want to wear earrings. So your earrings showing up will solve my problem. You know, like just, um, yeah, solve some, solve someone's problem. We don't, we don't need all the, how the sausage is made. Okay. (laughs) I love that. Katrina, I want to be respectful for your time here. I want to ask you two last questions. And one is something that you kind of alluded to previously, which the show is called the Peak Performance Greatness Show. And I truly believe everybody has peak performance. And the way you become in peak performance is with your habits and rituals. And you mentioned it like, hey, if you want to become a high level, it's not your business is your baby. You have to take care of you as you take care of you at such a high level. Then you'll be able to be a better business owner, mother, father, philanthropist, so on and so forth. Then something that I talked to all of my C-suite executive clients and my Fortune 500 all the time. Now, that being said, this is where I'm kind of bringing it all together. You're obviously a high achieving person. What are some of the rituals, the habits, the methodologies that you do on a daily basis to be performing at high levels? I have a whole bunch. Okay. So <laughs> one Not surprised. Is, one, yeah. <laughs> one is... I'm really strategic with my schedule. And so I found out when my kids were little, I used to take calls, you know, that um, they're in school now, but from like three to five or so, because business hours go until five and I would sneak some phone calls in there. I don't do that anymore. And it really goes back to, Hey, I know we as Americans pride ourselves on multitasking. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not a great multitasker. I'm like, if I'm taking a phone call and I'm parenting my kids, someone's not getting the best of me, you know, and it's usually my kids that are getting the short end of the stick. And so I don't take calls 3 PM to five because I know I'm doing kid pickup and some after school stuff. Um, there is a 90 minute window every single week I block out and it's like a Holy grail sacred so that I can do this gymnastics class. I've been a gymnast most of my life. And that 90 minutes is 90 minutes of focus on one single thing, which is gymnastics. I don't think about phone calls, to-do lists, anything, because it's such a an intense sport that you have to be so focused on what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to get hurt. Um, so there's a couple things there. I also, I'm pretty uh, patterned and routine with, you know, getting up, doing morning hikes, things like that. Um, the other, the business thing, though, that has really helped me is I have a team of 17 and I open up a a portion of my schedule Monday through Thursday for what we call office hours. And this is sort of like a catch all ask me anything because I do get a lot of requests from our team um, to approve their work before it goes to a client or to get um, more clarity on something before a client calls, something like that. And I was finding that these messages would come through to like frequently throughout the day. And I would feel like I have to stop, drop everything and get to those messages because I want the team member to continue to move forward and get the thing done. Um, but it was really overwhelming to me. So I'm like, Hey, everybody nine o'clock every day I'm here. Ask me anything. I will help you. I will give you 100%. 
And that has been such a game changer on how our day runs. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of business owners can relate to that, especially if they're using Slack, which is so great for a million reasons, but boy, it pings all day. So hopefully that helps. Yeah. Katrina, I mean, you mentioned um, so many great things. I just want to highlight a couple of things. So first and foremost, the aspect of understanding the productivity windows of when you're available for your team, for your colleagues, for X, Y, and Z protects your time and you're more efficient on it hundred percent, because if not, all you're doing is putting out fires for other people and you're not advancing your work. Love the fact that you have your gymnastics, your workout, and when you're doing it, you're such in a state of flow that nothing else matters. Because like you said, it's a sport that demands so much physical and mental awareness that if you're not there, you're going to fall on a beam or whatever you're doing, a flip's going to go bad and it's going to hurt, right? (laughs) Figuratively and literally, right? So 100%. And one thing you mentioned, which I, I really wanted to highlight, the aspect of multitasking. I love the fact that you noticed that I actually did a full YouTube video on this on my channel. On the aspect of multitasking is actually a computer-derived term because computers have more than one processor. That's why it's multitask. But you and me, Katrina, and everybody else that's listening has one. It's our brain. There's this perception that when we multitask, we're getting more done. But in fact, it's completely opposite because you're demanding your brain resources to get split up and you don't do great stuff. So 100% contrary to one thing at a time, go intensely on it do what you got to do and then do the other thing hundred percent. So Katrina, thank you for sharing all of those. One last question that I have for you over here is after talking to you and listening to everything over here, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are interested in connecting with you and seeing how they could connect to see potentially marketing wise or whatever the case is. So what would be the best way to connect with you in that regards? Yes. So my email's great for that, Katrina at NorthstarHQ.com. And then if they're interested in anything on the training side, that is not the marketinggirl.com. I love that. I love that. So everything will be in the show notes below. Uh, Katrina, I mean, great conversation. Legit, the time just flew by. You're a great conversationalist. I love what you were saying from the beginning to end. So it was a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Christopher Dedian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Fitness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didia. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day.